Dear Lord, as we open your word, your sacred, holy, enduring self-revelation of who you are and who we are in you and what your plan is from all eternity. Lord, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, you say that your word is a light and a lamp for us to walk by. And so, God, I pray that you would be alive and active and moving through your living word to lead us and teach us and guide us as your people. For your kingdom's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, friends and family of Gold Avenue Church, this is Pastor Gina, and we have been on this journey um, of a sermon series this summer on Ezra and Nehemiah. And you'll remember as we started that, we talked about that um, this was a, a sermon series where we would be hearing about the need for renewal, personal renewal, corporate renewal, and national renewal by the people of God, that we'd see models for leadership and stories of real people just like us. And um, this series has kind of a three-phase uh, approach to it. And so the first is the rebuilding of the temple, focusing on the relationship with God um, being restored by the altar and the sin sacrifices and um, just acknowledging the temple being God's presence. And so the restoration of the temple. And now today we begin with the restoration of the people because God's people were to be witnesses to the world. They were to be lights in a dark place. And then third, um, we'll get on to the rebuilding of the wall in Nehemiah in a few weeks. But today um, and this week in your reading plan, you are to read Ezra chapters 7 and 8. And I hope you've read that ahead of time. I'm going to um, read the first few verses, summarize and make some comments on some of the um, middle, and then comment a little bit more uh, on Ezra 8. And so again, those reading plans that you get in your weekly email, I hope that you'll be reading along in preparation for these sermons. And so we start with Ezra 7. After these things, which is the completion of the temple and the celebration, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, and then it goes through his lineage for a couple of verses there. And we get down to verse 5, and this is the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Some of the Israelites including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. And so this is a short overview, actually, of these um, verses, chapter 7 and 8. So we get the big picture. 
the um the hand of the Lord has been on Ezra, the one who this um, book is named after. Finally, in chapter 7, we're getting to meet him. And so what do we learn about him? That he has roots back to Aaron, the high priest. That he's a teacher that's well-versed in the law of Moses. That he has devoted himself to study and observance, which would mean obeying the law of God and teaching it. So he knows it, he lives it, and he teaches it. And then... um We see this, the gracious hand of God is on him, and it's interesting that it is mentioned that the hand of God is on him in verse 6, in verse 8, and also again in verse 28 that I didn't read yet. Also in chapter 8, we see it three times in verse 18, 22, and 31. The gracious hand of God is on him. And I just want to read that. Um, 8.22 8.22 a minute. The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we see that, um, first of all, we can't have the hand of God on us. We can't respond to it unless he initiates first. And so God, who came and saved his people, and then as they look to him, his hand remains on them, and there's a blessing. And so there's this cycle of kind of, Call and response. God initiates and calls and puts his hand on people and calls them out of and raises them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And then um, as they look to him, they continue to have God's favor and his hand on them to lead them, to guide them, to protect them, to show them the way. And so Ezra's um, these chapters that are recorded here, these verses of God's gracious hand being on just recognizing God's goodness. And how that as we respond to his goodness, he continues to pour out favor. And so then after that short intro there in 7, then there's verses 11 through 20, um, let's see, through 26. That's the letter from King Artaxerxes. And so the king responds, apparently Ezra goes and asks him about returning back. And the king responds and releases all the volunteers to go with him that would like to go. And so it's by volunteer. Ezra is sent to inquire about the law of God in the land. You'll see that. um, Verse 14, you are sent by the king to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God. So he's to go and check the status. Are they living according to God's ways? The king sends... Ezra and this group with costly gifts and provides again for all the provision, which is absolutely miraculous. Only the Lord could cause a pagan king to um, give these incredibly costly gifts for the worship of their God. And then to make sure that anybody along the way um, in the Persian government, that if these people need anything, just reach out and they should provide it. So, they're provided with costly gifts and provision, and they're to go and worship. And whatever has been prescribed by God's law, um, the king is saying, let it be done with diligence. And then also Ezra is to appoint leaders and judges who know God's law. And then he's to teach all who don't know the law. And so this is the, a pagan king giving these decrees. To Ezra, and so we see how the Lord has just moved um, to to cause this to happen. This is miraculous. 
Um, this would be like a, a country in this day, all of a sudden some national leader of some country um, calling up a church leader and saying, everything that you need for the worship of your God, and would you please make sure that all your people are following in God's ways? And um, if they aren't, would you please teach them? And so this is what is happening. And then Ezra's humble response we see in um, 7 verses 27 and on. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it in the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord, my God, was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. And so we see Ezra's heart, that um, he has a heart of praise. He wants to see God honored among the nations. And um, he recognizes that this wasn't about what he brought to the table, but actually it was because God's hand was on him. And so he's, it says, I, um, therefore, I took courage. And so this isn't somebody that maybe we would normally think of as like that go-getter leader but it's somebody that took courage in the Lord and then gathered up leaders to go and um, return back to Jerusalem. And then you'll see in um, chapter 8 that there's a list of people who um, all went. And remember, God pays attention to every single person. And so um, this list just indicates to us how he pays attention are we volunteering to do what he's asking us to do in this world? Are we ones that would say yes to his call? And then um, verse chapter 8, starting with 15, then there's this interesting story. And um, I just want to say that this story is Ezra retelling in more detail the short story that was listed there in chapter 7. And so um, what is the situation Why is God initiating this move, this second wave of people coming back, these exiles returning back to Jerusalem? Well, God's people in Jerusalem needed renewal. They lost their zeal for his kingdom and um, for God. They had they had suffered opposition. They had um, started to become more apathetic and complacent. We'll see some of this in um, following sermons, so I don't want to get into too much of that. But I also want to say that they were straying from God's word. And so when um, our zeal for the king and remembering his deliverance, when we start to lose sight of that, then um, there's we're more susceptible to compromise in our life. We're more susceptible to not obeying God's ways and his Um, law his rule and so this is what was happening there was trouble and God's people in Jerusalem needed renewal and so what do we see that God does in response to the need of his people is that he raises up a community to usher in renewal and he does this by calling up Ezra who is one who is devoted to God's word And we also notice, if you read carefully, that he was um, raising up leaders and calling forth leaders who also knew God's word. They embodied his word. They embodied the kingdom of God. 
They um, obeyed the teachings of God. And so Ezra recruited leaders and called them to come and um, go with him back. These were people who knew God and knew his word. They were in relationship with the living God. And how do, why is it that I make that declaration and say that to you? And it's because of um, Ezra 8, where we see that before they left, and you could just read this through as just, oh, that's an interesting story, a little more detail about their um, how they gathered by the canal and how they um, didn't see Levites there, so they recruited some more people to come, and then they fasted. And they humbled themselves before the Lord and asked for a safe journey. And it says, um, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. So we fasted and we prayed and we petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. He, <clears throat> he struggled. Should I accept and ask for an accompaniment for this 900-mile journey with um, old and young people and carrying all this incredibly costly treasures with us, we would be so suspect and so easy to be picked off by somebody that would see us an opposing force on our journey. Um, And he sought the Lord. He didn't just jump in and just say, okay, God's called me up to this. I'm going for it. I'm on mission now. But he waited on the Lord and he sought and discerned God's guidance and he prayed and then he took steps of faith under the conviction of what he thought would be the most honoring to God. And so he um, makes this determination about they'll go without um, asking for king accompaniment. And so they're, they're trusting God. They have a relationship with God. They're praying people. It's also interesting that these these Ezra and these leaders are obeying God. And we could read all this about, oh, why did they go and recruit these other people? But actually, it was because there were no Levites. It says in verse 15, I found no Levites there. And you see, what God had set up was he had set up an opportunity to um, really give these people that have been known to study and obey God's word, are they going to live by it now? In this real life situation on this mission, are they going to live by my word? Because you see, they knew that God's word said that these things that were for temple worship were supposed to only be carried by Levites. They were only supposed to be carried by people who were consecrated and fully devoted to the um, worship and the practices that needed to happen in the temple in regards to prayer and song and um, the sacrifices and worship. And so um, Ezra did not get in a hurry and um, cut any corners. He fully took the time to obey God's word and recruit these Levites to go with him. And so we see in this integrity. And then we also see honesty that um, they're going to be given these these um, treasures to carry all this silver and gold and bowls and um, all these fine articles. And there's going to be an accounting for them at the end of the journey as well. So practices for integrity. 
And so um, Ezra and the leaders are people who have a relationship with God and depend on him in prayer. They are um, living God's word. They're obeying it as they go. And they're actually embodying this and modeling this for the others. And then Ezra is a teacher. Um, he's a scribe. And this is one that would um, record the words of a king or that would um, record and write out extra copies of God's law. And the scribes were the ones that were to know whoever it was they were recording, which this would be King God Almighty himself, his words from the first five books of the Old Testament. They were to know the intent of those words. And what did what did God mean when he wrote this and when he said that? And so this was what a scribe was, was one to be an expert in God's law. And um, in the New Testament, those scribes then started to become named, uh, they would call them rabbi. And they were to teach. They were to raise up disciples and to teach those to know God and his word in the same way that they would know God. And they would know God and his word. They would live it and they would teach others. And so this is who God raised up when there was a time for renewal There was this emphasis on the centrality of his word and getting back to the basics of the good news of who God is and what he has done for his people as a deliverer and king. And then also there's a focus on the continuation of the worship through the temple. And so the presence of God, a focus on the presence of God, the prayers, the singing of worship songs to him. And so we see God raising up um, the centrality of his word through teachers and leaders who know his word and this continued focus on worship. This was the trouble and this was the good news and the way that God responded for the Israelites that had the exiles that had come back to Jerusalem and now sending a second wave of reinforcement to help them continue on and be actually reformed in their um, in their personal devotional lives and in their community life as the people of God who were to be living as lights. Friends, we, in this time and age, we face a world that is full of hurt and darkness and brokenness. And um, what would God do? When we face situations like what we face, and I just want to name a few situations that I've been aware of and have um, thought about as I thought about what is the trouble that is going on in the world around us. And I think about an uprising of people who are polarized, whether it be by race, whether it be by political persuasion, whether it be by thoughts about how to handle the COVID virus But there's just an uprising and constant turmoil and conflict and fighting. And um, I I think about what I see on the news each day. And then I think about a friend reaching out to say, hey, there's been this um, sudden unexpected death of a a new graduate. And um, there's just such grief and such loss 
at this time. I think about the fears that I hear many people expressing fear and concern about um, all the instability in our nation. And are we, what is happening with people thinking that there needs to be the, um, just a complete, like, are we moving towards anarchy? Like, are we, if we're decentralizing areas and um, having no police zones and sending people in to just try to figure out justice for themselves, are we moving towards anarchy in our country? What's happening with finances and with businesses that are shutting down and people losing jobs and fear can rise up? I think about the painful relationships and challenges and conflict and struggle and um, people hurting people. And um, there's so much that we encounter every day. I was on a walk this week and somebody stopped me and asked me, did I think that Jesus was coming back soon? Did I think this was the end times? And I said, well, no one knows the time or day. But um, certainly when I read in Matthew, I see these birth pains. These are, there was wars and rumors of wars. There's earthquakes. There's mudslides. There's um, all kinds of things that can cause the um, the love of God's people to grow cold, their hearts to grow cold. And I, I look and I think, I think this might be happening. I think this might be happening. And it says, stay alert then. Um, the time is drawing near. I'm not suggesting when Jesus is coming back, but I'm saying we're living in times that could very much indicate that we're getting closer, but it certainly is indicating that there is a need for renewal. There is a need for a bright light of the good news of the gospel to be shining in this world and giving hope to people who are scared and hurting And so what do I see and how do I see God responding to this? And I just want to say that I um, saw one of my colleagues, one of my Christian fellow pastors who happens to be an African-American in Alabama. What did I see him posting this week on Facebook in response to all the um, racial tensions and so forth? And it was a call back to the gospel to remember that we were all broken people in need of forgiveness, of need of saving, of need of um, hearing the good news of salvation. And he laid out the gospel. What did he do? He went to the gospel. My friends leading that funeral right now as I'm um, recording the sermon, my friends leading the funeral for that young man who passed away so suddenly last weekend. And what is she calling people to? And what is her message of hope as she um, delivers the message at the funeral? It's going back to the basics. It's going back to the gospel of a God who loves and saves and overcomes death with life. I think about the fear and the anxiety that seems to be so prevalent in so many people today. And I think, what is the solution for this? And I think... Go back to the good news of the gospel, that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from God's love. 
and I think about how that Ezra knew the story of Moses and the deliverance of God's people. And at times when the enemy was pounding down and the pressure was building and they're standing before the sea and it looks like they're going to drown. And suddenly the Lord delivers them and makes a way and opens up the sea. Go back to the gospel when there's fear. Go back to the gospel when there's painful relationships and conflict and sin that comes in and hurts so many people. What do we do with that? We go back to the gospel. I spent time this week just reading about Jesus' crucifixion and about all that he endured for me because of my sinfulness, for you because of your sinfulness. We all stand in need of forgiveness And it's in that light of gratitude, of receiving that good news of God's forgiveness and making a way to deal with the sin problem that separated us from him, that in that place, we can receive the grace then to extend that grace of forgiveness, to extend that hope that um, they too can be forgiven. Whatever the sin has been, forgiveness is possible through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross through the work of God who is the deliverer we go back to the gospel and we remember God's word we remember the story the old old story that um, we've loved for so long and we see ourselves in the story and we see how God delivered us and he's saving us and he's wanting us to know his word again he's raising up This urgency that we would be a people who know him and know his word. That we would live his word and that we would teach his word. And so Gold Avenue Church family, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you've been in the church for many years and you know God's word and you know the good news of the gospel, or whether you say, I need to learn that, what I want you to know is that God's put it on our hearts that we develop a gospel tool because, friends, we recognize that what it's going to take is all of us being knowing the good news, the love story of God's salvation and the hope for eternity and the hope of new creation. We need to be a people, and God's raising us up. He's already trained some of you. Some of you have been devoted to the scripture. You know the word like Ezra knew the law. You know God's word. We want to give you a tool. And we're asking even for some of your input. So you'll be hearing from us. And if we, if you don't hear from us, would you please reach out if you'd like to be involved in helping um, give input on the development of this gospel tool. So that we can help equip people to be, you'll actually be rabbis who are um, developing disciples. So you'll be one who follows God and knows God so well and his word so well. And you'll live it and you'll model it just like Ezra and the leaders embodied and lived obediently even as they carried the treasures back to Jerusalem. You'll be one who depends on God. You'll model prayer. You'll be living in the light of God's word and his ways. And you'll be equipped with something that would help be a useful tool for teaching. How do I teach this Bible and all the good news 
of who God is and how he has come to save us and give us victory over sin and death, how do I teach that succinctly easy to understand for other people? And so, friends, please pray. And as we reach out for your input, please cooperate. Please give us your input, your wisdom, so that together we can develop something that will be really helpful. I also believe that the Lord is, um, as I read through this story of Ezra, I saw this pulling people up that had been on the sidelines for a while. They had been over in Babylon for years, and then suddenly they're being called up into their positions, their kingdom assignments, and they were consecrated to the Lord says that that you as well as these articles are consecrated to the Lord. And I believe the Lord is calling up people. He may be calling you. Some of you have reached out and said, I'm sensing this calling. I'm sensing this, this desire. I feel like the Lord's calling me towards this work, that work. I believe the Lord is um, inviting and calling people into um, a posture of just saying, what does consecrated mean? It means I'm set apart for God and God's purposes. That's what these Levites were. This is what the um, treasures that they were carrying were set apart for holy, godly purposes. And I believe God's calling you and he's calling me to consecrate, to say, I, I again submit myself, body, soul, and spirit. I belong to you. Everything I have is yours. And Lord, I want to be used to teach people about the good news of your deliverance and your hope of salvation. Lord, we want to be a light to the nations. Lord, we want to be a light to our neighborhood. Lord, we want to be a light in our families. Lord, would you, I am just moving into prayer now, but Lord, I just pray that you would move into our hearts in such way that you would stir up our spirits, that your gracious hand would be upon us, and that we at Gold Avenue Church would raise up to be a people that you would use for such a time as this in this city and in this nation and in this world. God, I pray that you would come upon us and that you would help us to slow down and do things rightly, that we wouldn't compromise, but that we would know the time and we would know the assignments that you're giving for us. And Lord, I pray that you would use us to usher in renewal, that you would use us to usher in revival, Lord, that you would use us as we know you and your word and your goodness and your love story to us. Lord, I pray that you would use us so that we could um, say along with Ezra that we just give you praise because you're going to be honored. Lord, let your glory cover the earth like the water covers the sea. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.